Turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read a pretty famous passage. Um, We're in the middle of a Wednesday night series that I have titled Encounters with Jesus. And tonight's encounter with Jesus is really like no other in all of the rest of the Bible. He has a personal interaction with the devil himself. Um, And here's my prayer. If the Holy Spirit grants us the right way to view this and the right way to apply this passage, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, Your life will be changed tonight. I'm not exaggerating. It's just unbelievable uh, what Jesus is teaching us here about himself uh, and about our enemy, our great adversary tonight. So Matthew 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That's Psalm 92. So Satan is quoting scripture. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray over that. Father, those of us who can rightly call you Father, know that we have a great enemy. We know that your enemy is our enemy. We know that he's real. We know that he knows us. We know that we, he knows how to whisper things into our ears, how to scream things into our minds. And what we're asking for is for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit through these inspired words. As we see our Savior, as we see our refuge here in this text, and how He defeats the enemy, Lord, may we learn from that. May we be encouraged for those of us who would wallow and beat ourselves up when we find refuge in this text. May your Holy Spirit accomplish that tonight. We ask it only in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so when I was in high school, I was uh, a bit of a basketball star. And uh, now I need to be transparent and tell you that my stardom was in the context of a church rec league. And I probably should be even more transparent and tell you that when I say I was a bit of a basketball star, it means I was terrible. Uh, and I was. Still good enough to make the starting five of a church a failing church rec league, uh, and but at least we had fun. Like, we did all the trick plays of, like, you know, snowboarding and do get down on all fours, and we try to dunk, and, you know, it doesn't work out, and we hurt ourselves and all that. 
And I would bring a pick to every game, and I would pick my fro up, and that got, like, a lot of fan attention and stuff. And, you know, we would dress in, in silly uniforms with super high socks and wristbands and, you know, like 27 bands somewhere on your body. So we had fun with it. Uh, we were pretty terrible. I was terrible. But worse than me was my friend Ben. Like, Ben was worse at the sports than I was. And he was kind of our secret weapon, though. When we started losing, we would put Ben in because even though he was terrible at the sports, he was the most annoying defender ever. Have you ever played with people like this and pick up ball? Like, they're terrible, but you hate when they defend you. Like, it, it really does ruin your game because they're so annoying. So Ben was just the master of, like, he's just, like, real spastic and, like, always up on you. You know, you're like, dude, just give me some space. He's, like, always right up on you doing his thing, like, whispering stuff in your ear. Yeah, 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 hey, yeah, say hey to your mom. You know, stuff like that. Like, the king of trash talk. Like, just getting in people's heads. So even though he was terrible, like, he was our secret weapon. We're like, go get him, Ben. Just super annoying, bad at the sports. But I'm telling you, his, he had a mission. His mission was, I'm going to get in your head. I'm going I'm to whisper some things at you sometimes. I'm going to shout some things at you sometimes. I'm going to accuse you of how bad you are or what a cheater you are or whatever. I'm telling you, in a very real sense, the, the, the devil works like that. In a very real sense, I mean, what we just read in this text about Jesus and the devil, it's not a myth. I mean, this, this happened. It took place. It's not allegory. You know, many of you envision Satan looking, looking something like, you know, a red guy, you know, kind of a cartoon character. He's got a pitchfork, and he sits on your shoulder, and he tells you, hey, hey, don't do that, or hey, do that. And many of you think, oh, that's, yeah, I'm sure he's out there somewhere floating around. Oh, the enemy, Satan, oh, the devil. And you never really think of him as being a reality. And he would delight to keep you trapped in that. Like, that's, that's really good for him. He wants you to not think about him. He wants you to not think about his existence at all. In fact, if you've ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis... He'll tell you that's, that's one of his objectives. You know, you have this seasoned demon who's writing a letter to his nephew, and he's like, hey, just keep him not talking about us. Keep him focused on his little life, his little kingdom. Don't let him think about these kind of things. Don't let him think about us. But listen, God has a real enemy who exists, and he has a very clear mission to overthrow the purposes of God. And for those of us who can rightly call God our Father, and notice I put that caveat, rightly call God our Father, just because you're born on planet Earth doesn't mean, oh, God's up there. He's just Father of everybody. Those of us who are in Christ, who can rightly call God our Father, His enemy is now our enemy. We've changed teams. We've been adopted. And so an enemy that was real and fierce and hates all things God now focuses that anger towards us. In short, Jesus lays out his enemy's mission statement for us in John 10. In John 10, he says, the thief, talking about Satan, talking about the enemy, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. So the words Satan or devil, um, really they can be translated a number of different ways depending on the context, Old Testament, New Testament, and some, some different little uh, kind of caveats within those. But the primary focus um, that, that I want to hit tonight 
is that one of the most outstanding definitions and, and missions of Satan is that he is the accuser. That's what the devil means. If you were to translate it in many places, the devil is the accuser. And really that leads us to the, the main point I want to make. One of the primary ways that the enemy works best is by accusing the people of God. That's one of his primary means. This is how the created being who hates God and everything having to do with God and his purposes and his plan and is real and has a big team and they're good and they're smart and they actually do have power. One of the best things that he can do is to get into the heads of God's people and accuse them. This is a secret weapon. I mean, like my, my friend Ben, just all up in your face and in your ear. Now, do he and his servants, do they have other, uh, other weapons that are aimed at stealing and killing and destroying? Absolutely. Many external ones. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I mean, that's, that's serious stuff, and that's, that's real. So, yeah, there are external means that Satan and his homeboys can use to ensnare us, right? I mean, it could look like in the context of a relationship. It could be a substance. It could be the Internet. It could be gossip. You name it. There's all kinds of external traps that he can set. Second uh, Corinthians 11, verse 14, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know what that's saying? All that's saying is that, hey, the enemy's really good at making bad things look good. He's really good. He's really good at making things look either okay, harmless, good altogether, and they're really not. So there are plenty of ways that Satan uh, comes in and sets external traps and, 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 and gathers people to thwart try to thwart God's purposes. But I want to focus on tonight how he gets into the heads of us, how he gets into the minds of, of us, God's people, by either whispering lies or shouting half-truths. So, so when you hear the enemy or, or Satan or the devil, I want you to think of someone in a courtroom who would kind of stand up and, and point and accuse, Okay. For our context tonight, that's what I want in there. Satan is an accuser. He's pointing at me. He's shouting. He's whispering. He's an accuser. So with that in mind, I want to hop into the story real quick. I want to illustrate it uh, in a, in a mind-blowing way. Hit, hit me on my run Monday night. I mean, this is where the sermon was born, listening to something and going, oh, my goodness. Uh, and then I want us to even respond. That's not something that we have the space to do a lot, right? We hear something and then... It ends and we go home. I want to give us an opportunity to respond as a way of thanks that we have a way out of believing these accusations. We have a way out of that. So first point is this, Satan, the accuser. Uh, Zechariah 3 verse 1 gives us kind of a visual, again, of, of one of Satan's biggest goals, to accuse um, this is talking about, he says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So Satan is standing next to Joshua to do what? At his right hand to accuse him. You know, in each one of Satan's temptations here in our text uh, to Jesus, 
was wrapped up in it an accusation. Okay? It, it wasn't just a temptation. It wasn't just, oh, you're hungry, turn the stones into bread, eat it, uh, be tempted to do that. Hey, be tempted to show people that you really are the Son of God because you're going to fall down and the angels are going to swoop in and grab you. Be tempted to do that. Hey, be tempted to have power over everything without having to suffer through this cross business. You can have it now. So, yes, there were temptations, but behind all of those temptations is an accusation. For example, his first uh, temptation is specifically aimed at um, Jesus' immediate circumstances, right? He's hungry, so here's a way out of your hunger. So it was wrapped up in immediate circumstances, but all of them were to get Jesus to do what? To question God's word, uh, to question his love, to question his care, and, and, and really to misuse God's purposes, Jesus is hungry, I need him for 40 days. The tempter comes and says, hey, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now think about this, Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. Now, if most of you, if you go 40 minutes without food, like you're like, you know, tearing through brick walls, like mother, what have you done to me? You know, get out of my way. I'm going to the pantry and just owning everything in there. 40 days he hasn't eaten. So with that backdrop, what does the enemy do? He comes in with a tailor-fit accusation. So Jesus is, is going through something. He's feeling something. He's experiencing something. And so Satan goes, boom, there's an open door. His outward circumstances, his experiences gave Satan an open door to come in and say what in that moment? He's, he's what he's saying. God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, you would have a buffet in front of you right now. And you're out here wandering around at his leading. It said the spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness, and you haven't eaten for 40 days. God does not care about you. Or God's maybe just not powerful enough to provide for your needs. But you can do it, buddy. He's, he doesn't really, he's not with you, man. He can't take care of you. So you're going to have to. Guys, make sure you don't miss this. This is your point of application. Outward, real circumstances or feelings gave the enemy an open door to tempt or to accuse. We got to know that about ourselves. We have to know that we are susceptible to the accusations of the enemy and believing them. Jesus was human. So he really had been hungry after not eating for 40 days. Now, guys, we find ourselves in real circumstances every day that give the enemy an open door to accuse and whisper and shout, don't we? I mean, think about it. Think about it with me real, real practically. Um, you know, we, we hear a song that reminds us of a, of a relationship and maybe not a good one, maybe not a healthy one. And, and, and the enemy comes in and he starts whispering stuff about what you did Starts whispering stuff about who you really are if people only knew. We see an image that, that pops in, you know, that, that it just it takes us back to a dark place. Um, we, we, we feel sad, and there's an open door. We feel angry, we feel alone, or we feel afraid, or we feel misunderstood. And in that moment, when we feel that, it's a very real thing that's happening. The enemy knows that. The enemy and his posse know that there's an open door. Yeah, you are alone. You know why? Because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Yeah, you are misunderstood. You want to know why? You're, 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 you're a weirdo. You're not like everyone else. 
yeah, yeah, you should be angry. It's not fair. All this stuff that you've been going through, and man, you've been trying hard to please Jesus and trying hard to, to you know, please your church leaders, and, and man, things aren't going well. Yeah, that's because all of it's garbage. Take care of yourself. Do what you feel. Sometimes we suffer. It's just our pain. It's our suffering. And the enemy sees that door. He's like, all right, here, I can get in there. I can say some stuff. God didn't love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't fill in the blank. If God loved you, you think your parents would be divorced? Do you think they'd be fighting all the time? If God loved you, you think you'd have cancer? An all-powerful God who works all things together for good? Satan knows us. How about when we mess up? How about when we fail? How about when we stumble? The accusations flood in, don't they? Sometimes whispered, sometimes shouted. Of absolute incredible importance is is how Jesus responds to his temptations or these inherent accusations. How does he respond every time? Every single time. The first one, it is written. The second one, again, it is written. The third one, for it is written. You know what he's saying? You know what he's doing? He's recalling scripture. That's how he's fighting the accusations. That's how he's fighting the attack. That's how he's fighting the enemy. He's going, I know God's word. And I don't care what I feel right now. Yeah, I'm really hungry. I would love to kill a bear and eat it whole. But you know what? It doesn't matter if I feel that. God's word says this. Now I want you to think about that. So Satan comes to the only man ever who has been sinless, and he gets nowhere with him. He gains no ground. So you have Jesus whose eyes are constantly fixed on the glory of God. He lives in the closest possible relationship you ever could with God the Father. And what does he do? He knows God's Word. He knows Scripture. So here's my point. If Jesus... The sinless Son of God needed to know Scripture in order to resist the enemy. How much do we, exposed weaklings, need to know it? Guys, I don't care if you know some general things about the Bible or you come to a Bible study. No, that was cute. Do you know it? Are you hiding it away in your heart? When the lights go out and the enemy starts accusing, do you know it in a way where you can recall it and hope in it and put your stake down in it and go, I don't care what I'm feeling, Satan, I don't care what you're saying, these words are true. That's why we want you to be in God's word, not just to be good little southern Christian boys and girls. We want you to know it. We all need to hide it away in our hearts. Because the enemy and his servants, they know us, people. They know us. They know where and how to zing us, don't they? They know how to lob half-truths at us. They know how to convince us that we, you know what, I know who you really are. You put on the face at church. You put on the face when you're meeting with your youth leaders. You put on the face when you're on a trip. But I know who you really are at home, alone, on the weekend, they know how to show us a picture of who God is and then a picture of who we are and, and this immeasurable chasm in between. And they go, ha, good luck. Sometimes Satan even uses scripture against us. That's what he did here to Jesus. He quotes Psalm 92. Dude, it says it right there. Do you know what Deuteronomy 27, 26 says? 
Here's what Deuteronomy 27, verse 26 says. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Are you doing everything that's written in the book of the law? Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Don't think that Satan doesn't know what this book says. He's going, ha, see, you're not good enough. I know the real you, and sorry, bud, you ain't cutting it. That ain't you. And you know what? He's right. He's right. I mean, that, 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 that's what it says. Cursed is the one who can't abide. Cursed is the one who can't cut it. Cursed is the one who sins. Cursed is the one who can't uh, obey the law perfectly. Is that you? Has he ever told you that? Has he ever said that? You know, he's forgotten one tiny little piece of life-altering news. He's forgotten the refrain, which is that Jesus saves. I want to illustrate that in a song, so pay attention.
But I cannot escape the exceeding wonder that not only does God look upon a guilty person in the courtroom and exercise clemency and forgive him and say, you're guilty, I forgive you, go and sin no more, but he also, beyond all imagination, looks upon this guilty sinner and does not just say, you're guilty, I forgive you. He says, you're not guilty. <gasps> I mean, forgiveness is understandable, just a little bit understandable. We kind of have some way to get our hands around forgiveness. You let it go. You don't hold it against them. But this, look me right in the face, John Piper, right in the face, sinner though I am, and say, Righteous. you get that? I mean, because of Galatians 3.13, we can embrace the accusations, <laughs> the whispers and the half-truths and the shouts. We can go, you're right, dude. You know the real me, and it's not pretty. But Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for me. And so we can face him and we can look at his bony little accusing finger and say, all right, you nailed it. You got it. I'm not good enough. I'm a wreck. I mean, it's bad. You're right, but you've forgotten something. Jesus saves. In this scene tonight, Jesus defeats Satan he resists temptation and he goes away for a little while. He came back um, on a day that we call Good Friday. And, and for a few hours, he would seemingly win. But when Jesus, who was very dead, gets up and, and walks out of a tomb, what he's doing, what he's saying is, I have victory over death and sin and Satan. And, and that victory over death and sin and Satan in Christ becomes our victory. And that's what gives us hope. And that's what gives us the ability to embrace the accusations that the devil would lob at us. Don't you see why we don't have to live in fear and guilt and shame? Because the courtroom is... We're gone. It's been dismissed. He looked and he said, the one who's not guilty is guilty. The one who's very guilty is not guilty. Now go. 
Friends, if that's not the gospel that you know, if you have kind of a made-up Jesus and you think that, oh, Satan, that's this cartoon character, and Jesus, he's this guy who might have lived, I don't know, doesn't have anything to do with my life, really. If that's not the gospel that you have that, that is a balm to your soul when the enemy is pressing in and telling you lies, then, friend, you need to meet this Jesus who went to a cross to defeat this enemy for you. To live life abundantly, as he replies in John 10. Let me pray. Uh, Father, there are some who don't know redemption. They, They don't know your son in a personal way. And what they have given vent to for many years is this back and forth between trying to obey the law, but then not being able to, and beating themselves up, and... Lord, would you reveal true things to your people? Would you reveal the truth of this gospel? Not the half-truth, but the full truth of it. Would you reveal it in an unmistakable way? Lord, we thank you for this gospel. Lord, it it is unbelievable news, and may we live like it is. Thank you for the relief that we don't have to listen to this liar We can face it, we can embrace it, and say, you are forgetting the gospel that has saved me, that has freed me. Thank you. May we live as changed people by the power of your Spirit, and we ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Ran out of time to sing. I'm sorry. We'll hit it another time. Love you guys. Remember that truth, and I hope to see you sometime soon. Peace.